Good to be with you guys. That sounds really loud to me, but is that okay with you guys out there? All right. I, uh, it, it was probably about this time three years ago that I was at home. It was one evening, and the phone rang, and it was Jim Coons on the phone. And he doesn't call me, real, he didn't call me real frequently. Uh, but, you know, we'd see each other and talk, but... So he called and, and he said, you know, hey, Scott, you know, catching up, but we're, we're going to be looking for somebody to lead our church as I'm in the process of, of handing that off. And so he said, do you know anybody who might be interested? And I was like, oh, man, let me think about that for a little bit. And so we talked and we were just chatting. He was telling me the story of the process and things. I, it, somewhere in that conversation, I was like, I wonder if I would be interested. <laughs> And so uh, it was a strange feeling, you know, to, to think that that could ever be possible. And I remember, uh, you know, we finished that conversation. I went in and, and talked to Claire, and she got these just big old eyes, you know, like, are you kidding? You know, that you would, could that be possible? And it was really at that stage for a long time. Uh, it, took, it took a full year from there before we got to the point of actually making, you know, having the opportunity to make the decision. So it was a long process. Once we decided, and once God had made clear that this is where we needed to be, there was this huge operation, which all of you who've moved here know what I'm talking about, getting ready to move to Crested Butte. You know, the house, the plans, the kids, the school, the whole thing, the, you know, getting the place up here, all of that stuff had to take place. And I think everyone in here that's, that's a local has had that experience. And that was an ordeal. Uh, the thing was, though, and the thing that kept us going is that we knew where we were headed. We knew why we were going there. We knew what it was about to this place, right? We had this destination in mind. And so it made all the pieces fit together as we went this way. And so whatever the, the struggle was to make it happen, all that seemed, you know, ancillary to the cause because we were about something. We were going somewhere, right? Now, I haven't told you all yet about what happened with the, with the U-Hauls on Monarch Pass. But I'll tell you another time. We were almost here when everything went crazy. But uh, we were still focused on where we were going to be. And that is the purpose of this series that we're in for these few weeks here at the beginning of January. To say to the people of Obi Joyful Church, this is who we are. This is where we're going. This is what we're about because if you just, if all we do is show up on Sunday morning, that's, that's not what, really, what Christianity, what following Jesus is really about. That's a little piece of it. That's a slice of it for some of us. But we need to know as a church, as a body of believers, and if you're not a believer and you're here, you're exploring what it is to know Jesus and follow him, then this is a time to kind of get a picture of what it, what it ought to be like for people who are following Jesus. So you have kind of a, a more clear idea of that. Because we are going somewhere, we are doing something, we have a purpose. And so then the things that we do along the way to get to that end all make sense, right? And so what we did for the last three weeks, we looked at what our mission is, what the thing is, the real main thing that we're going after, and that's reconciliation. And so if you've been here any of those weeks, you've heard a slice of that. But we're unpacking this idea of reconciliation as a church, as being something that we seek with God through Jesus. Now, that is what we have as believers, reconciliation with God. But we also want reconciliation amongst one another. 
We want reconciliation to be, we want to be messengers of reconciliation to our community and to this world. And so reconciliation gives us that foundation, that one word, if you're talking about OB Joyful Church, that's the word that should resonate with you. And we should be after, as hard as it is to get there. But then we have these six core values. And we're going to look at a few of them here in the next couple of weeks. And today we're going to look at the one that is worship. And so we have, like I said, six. And I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, I remember them with a little uh, series of letters. We share. We share worship, equipping, service, harvest, retreat, and recovery. Put those up on the wall there. Worship, equipping, service. Y'all help me out. Harvest, recovery, retreat. Okay. So those are the things that we're those are the things that we're doing along the way to reconciliation. They're, they're, we do other things besides those exact things, and many of the the things that we do fit in underneath one of those categories. But these help us kind of stay uh, inside the car or on the train. You know, they're they're a piece of what it is that we do that gets us to that place of reconciliation. So uh, what we're going to do today is, like I said, look at this idea of worship. And I want to, um, here's the main thing I hope we'll go away with. And it is, um, I, I would love us to have a broader understanding of what worship is. And by, by that, I mean to say that worship may not be what we have always thought it was. And so this is a topic that is just ridiculously large. And so we're just going to be able to look at one facet of it. But what I want to do, what I'm hoping to do as we talk about looking at it a different way, is to say, um, maybe if you can let the words of this passage that we study sink in, it will help you, it will help myself to um, engage in worship where maybe we felt like there was a barrier before, where we've known it is important, we don't know what to do and how to engage in that. How does that work? And so I I guess I'm hoping that we'll just sort of unlock that uh, concept of worship for us just a little bit more today so that we can enter into that. Because I know all of us who know Jesus, who have an idea of who God is, understand this, uh, that worship is is critical to that. But what does it mean? And how do we do that? What What is that all about? So I'm hoping we can open it up just a bit and we're going to look at, uh, at Mark 12. So if you want to turn there, we'll put it up on the wall too. Mark 12 and verse 28 is the, the passage we're going to be in. It's just a, a few lines, very few lines. And there's a situation where Jesus is talking, having a dialogue, and some of his guys are around him, and they're dialoguing with some of the religious leaders of the day. And so, as you know, a lot of times those were pretty pointed conversations and, and kind of tense so at one point, one of the, uh, they call them scribes, but he'd be like a lawyer or someone who was uh, a, a church lawyer, if you will, or a religious lawyer. He, he came into the scene and he was going to throw in a, 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 he thought, like a time bomb question to blow Jesus up. And, the, and that's where we start this. And we're going to see Jesus answer, uh, it, taking us to an understanding of what and why worship is. And, and I'll say this too before we read it. When Jesus answers this, he's, he's, he quotes a passage that all of these Jewish people knew. All of them. They knew it by heart for sure. And he's quoting it from Deuteronomy, from the time of the Exodus. 
So when, um, when this interaction occurs, uh, the bomb <laughs> that this guy, this scribe, throws in doesn't go off. In fact, Jesus takes him to a different level, and I hope that that will happen with us as well. Re- read it with me. Mark twelve twenty eight. And one of the scribes came up to Jesus and heard them disputing, came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, or Jesus, answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, and this is where he quotes Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. Now, as we go through this passage, I'm going to try to bring out just three things about it that I hope will help us uh, fill in the blanks a little bit. One thing is is the reality of worship that Jesus is going to talk about. One is the reason for worship. And another is the reaction of worship. So the reality, the reason, and the reaction So let's start with the reality. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Lorray, who is doing all of our publication stuff, and if you've seen any of it, then you know it's just fantastic. If you looked at the website or like the bulletin or anything, so thank you, Lorray. Unbelievable. Uh, So thankful for what she's doing there. Well, she put an ad that we had, you know, planned out in in the paper, and some of you have seen the the, uh, OB Joyful ads in the paper from time to time. And this one was just a picture of Mount Crested Butte, and it had our logo and the worship service time, and then it said in real big letters, worship. And so when I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's cool, that looks great, you know, and we were very happy with it. And, and the more I looked at it, the more I thought, okay, now what, what does it mean when somebody in Crested Butte reads the word Worship. I, you know, <laughs> it can mean a lot of different things. Anywhere, anywhere on the planet, it can mean a lot of things, especially in Crested Butte. Now, to me, it, had, it has certain connotations. When I read worship, I go, okay, I, I get that. I, I kind of know what that is. In, in this case, it kind of mean, means like the service time we're going to meet. But I, I wondered about the definition of worship and, and what that, the reality of it is to people who hear it, whether they're believers or they're not believers. What's the reality of the meaning of the word worship? Which is what we're going to get to in this passage. Underlying everything, when we talk about worship, we all, as humans, understand worship. Now, like as a baseline, because, and this is really, I think, foundational to being human, we know we were created to worship. I I shouldn't say we know. We there is something intrinsic in us that worships. Let me say it that way. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, has anybody ever seen The Sandlot before? That's a movie where these little boys, you know, ex- have this whole world, you know, baseball and the pool and all that, which is exactly, well, very similar to what my life was like when I was in elementary school. And there's one thing about it is those guys um, were in love with, the, with the, um, the girl at the pool who was the lifeguard. Now, most guys in here, I'm just talking to guys right now, can relate to me. 
And I say, there was a girl that you probably came close to worshiping when you were in elementary school. And for me, it was Jenny, the lifeguard. And so when I saw that movie, I was like, wow, they read my story somewhere, you know. I mean, all of my friends, we'd go, we'd line up on the, 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 wing, the, uh, the bullnose right there under, under her and just, you know, anything. She could have told us to jump off a cliff, we would have done it. Because we have this sort of um, intrinsic understanding that there are certain things that God has made that are incredible. You know, in, they, that happens in different ways for us. Uh, it's, an, it's a natural response to good things. This, and it can be, we could underline it as, as a feeling even, as a devotion. Um, just subtle things about us that say this is a good thing in our body our senses respond and acknowledge that. I, uh, so, so there's this baseline understanding of recognizing something good and responding to it, which is, a, which is sort of a foundational idea of worship. In contrast to that, that's like the basic thing, Christians have taken worship, and, and this is uh, absolutely how I have grown up thinking of it, and said worship is what we just did a few minutes ago. And so we were singing, and that piece of this service was the worship part. Okay, you can raise your hands in your mind if that was you and is you. Okay, we, we say, okay, that's the time that we worship. And we spend a lot of time, and our volunteers work really hard to make that experience happen for us, where we can connect with God in what we call worship. But for a lot of us, singing is a struggle. Is that, is that you, laddie? <laughs> You're laughing. You say. I'm not pointing fingers, laddie. I'm just asking. But, so on the other end, Christians, and myself especially included, have relegated in some ways worship to this time of singing, which I may or may not engage in. And I'll be honest with you, even as, as Stephanie was, was pleading with us and leading us and stuff, I was working to focus on the words in my heart and my mind, saying, Lord, help me not think about other things. Why am I doing, you know, so I'm having this battle over worship, you know, and I want to be, I mean, I want to. Um, My wife loves music. I thought I liked music, but she loves it. And so songs can have an incredible impact on her. And you may be a person like that where music engages you in a way that is just powerful. When you are at a concert or you see an artist or someone is a musician that's just un, just thrilling to you in the sound, you, you move into this, like what, what I would do is I would go get all their, their CDs or download all their music. I would learn about them. I would learn the words because I appreciate what's happening. This is, a, this is a step towards worship. I'm not talking about worshiping a person or anything, like that, but we start to engage in a process that is appreciating um, the beautiful things that God has created. Okay? Now, for you, it could be art. It could be um, being on your bike. It could be some kind of sport thing. It could be your work that you love so much, uh, something that engages you in a way where you are so thrilled and filled up that there is a appreciation that, 
that that thing exists. And here's the difference, and here's where we move another level up. When we appreciate something that has been created, um, it is possible to worship that thing, to focus on that thing. But the difference for us as believers is that we move from worshiping something to worshiping the one from which it came. Okay? Now, when we're talking about worship like that, we're not talking about music in Sunday morning where we're having to vocalize or we're getting to vocalize, if that's you. We're talking about something completely different, something that's much, much broader. It's not totally localized on Sunday, and it's not focused on the creation. It's focused on a creator. It can be because of something that was done, something that he has made, some beautiful thing that you're probably looking out the windows at right now. But those things will point us and direct us to the creator of those things. There is a, uh, a sense of awe that comes over us that we understand. Either all of us can think of something that draws us to that point of awe, wherever it is. There are these moments where you're almost wholly engaged, fully engaged in this awe that you're feeling around something that you're experiencing around something. That can either be directed at the thing or the one who created it. So there is this, uh, just talking about the reality of worship, we have some some confusion about that for us as believers, if you are a believer. And uh, we were made to worship. So how do we bring those things together in order to uh, direct our worship at the right place, in the, in the right way? How does that happen? Is there a right way? And, that, and this is really the critical part, uh, the reason for worship. And this is where we get to the passage. Uh, the Jews really, uh, they understood this. And, and this is what I think is the reason that we worship. We will worship if we have an accurate view of God. When we have an accurate view of God, we will be drawn to worship. That will, that will lead to the reaction of worship. Look at uh, verse 29. Jesus answered the scribe and he says, The most important thing is, this is the most important commandment, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He starts out with that. There's two sentences. One of them is this. The most important thing is, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? So we're going to take just a moment to look at that first sentence. That doesn't sound like a commandment to me. Here's the most important commandment. Here, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. That's, that, if I say Neil is one, it, I, I don't, it's not a commandment. I, I don't get that just from the words. And I think if you've been a believer for a long time, you've probably come across these words. And we just sort of listen to them and say, oh yeah, okay, Lord is one. And then leave it at that. But there's a whole lot more in that that, that we miss. Uh, and I think we need to look at it. And this is where the, these uh, Jewish people got it right. Because if you look at the actual words that Jesus is using and that were used in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, they're pretty amazing. Because they had this they had this view of God that put them into a place of worship. So for instance, when he says the Lord our God, the word Lord is the word Yahweh. So you're f- probably familiar with that word. 
But the cool thing about that word is if you've seen it, originally it was only these four letters. Y-H-W-H. That's transliterated from the Hebrew, okay? And so in, in the original Hebrew, they didn't have vowels or anything. They just had these consonants. You can imagine what that language was like way back then. No, no vowels. And all the, the words were just strung, to, well, strung together. I don't know, is that right to left? It's, they read opposite direction that we do. And so uh, when they came to describing God, to giving him a name, the cool thing about the word Yahweh is that it is his name, but it's only a label for his name because they wouldn't say his name because they had this, that name was a constant reminder of the incredible, infathomable greatness of God. He could not even be named. He was so holy, so good. He could not be named. And so they they came up with these letters and this word that was not even saying his name but referring to it. And so they, there was this, this sense of awe just in, that, in that, just the way they said that. So when we see the word Lord, well, we say that all the time about all kinds of different things. But for them, it was completely different. Yahweh. And so they began to have this, uh, they were expressing this idea about him. But the cool thing about the word Yahweh also is that it was always used to express the personal relationship of God with man and his creation. So as great as he was, as impossible as it was to actually say his name, Yahweh was a word always used in reflection of relationship with God, which is really cool. In fact, you can see that right after that. It says, uh, it says uh, the Lord, our God. He's ours. There's a, there's a very personal nature to that. He's our God. He's with us. He is in relationship with us. Yahweh is. And then the next word, it says, the Lord, our God, that word God is the word, uh, essentially the word El, or Elohim. If you heard that before, you've probably seen it or sung it in a Christmas song or something. Elohim. That is a word that would describe, the endings of it would describe different attributes of, uh, of God, like the uh, surpassing greatness of God, the creator God. Any of those things might come after and, and fill out the word El. So this this idea is that there's this personal God who's so incredible, has a relationship with us, yet we, we, we can't even say his name, but then he, he's also all of these things that make up who he is as the God. And so when, when they say, the Lord our God, that's saying a lot of stuff. And, and here's the thing, I think that when we recognize an accurate view of who God is, when we see how incredible he is, and we're reminded of that, the reaction is then worship. So uh, then it says one other little thing. It says our God is one. What does that mean? The most, um, there is a lot that it means. The most essential thing that it means is that there is only one God. Okay? There is this, within God, there are, I, the tr- there is the Trinity, and we understand that through Scripture. But this isn't talking about that. This is talking about one true God. Okay? So, the Lord our God, He is one. There is only one of these gods. And this is, uh, in our culture today, this is a hard thing, I think. There's an illustration that people use like this. They say... Um, 
Well, God, there is one God. And all of the world religions are uh, sensing the same God. It's almost like what we do as, as humans is we have blindfolds on and we come up to an elephant. Maybe you've heard this illustration before. And you've, in like, you know, Kevin and I go up to the front and we feel this big trunk and we're like, oh, okay, this is what God is like. I'm sure of it. And then some other people go over and they, they grab hold of a leg and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, this is what God is like. And some others grab the tail and, and they go back and tell their people, this is what God is like. And we're all talking about the same God. That, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It's kind of a nice way to put what it might be like. But the only problem, the problem with that is that it's just a nice way to say something. Because if you spend any time digging into understanding the claims that are made about the different gods of these religions, then you'll see that they are mutually exclusive. That they can't be all parts of the same thing. Because they wouldn't be, they, they wouldn't hold together. The claims are exclusive of one another. And so this, friends, is one of the hard things that we have to come to grips with. And we talk about it from time to time. There is one God, and this is the most important thing that you can know. There is one God. He is the creator God. One God. Um, and I don't, I don't want to stand up here and um, even for a second act like that's an easy thing in our culture to, to deal with. It just, it's flat out hard. And it, it requires us to enter into conversation in our relationship with God with, with, as we work out a relationship with God with other people with a lot of compassion and understanding. Not with the information that I know that you don't know, but with uh, a great compassion and love that is re representative of who, who the real God truly is. So there's the reality of, of what worship is, but then that, that worship happens because, I think, this one point that Jesus brings, that when we understand who God is, it will lead us to the next step that the next step will follow automatically. And that's this reaction. Look in verse uh, 28 of chapter 12. Uh, I mean, excuse me, uh, verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. I think it's, it's really interesting that the greatest commandment doesn't really say what you're supposed to do. It doesn't say go out to this hill and do this thing or read this, or pray this way, or anything like that. The greatest commandment is much more general. It's much more about who you are than some specific things you have to do, like show up and sing. Now, some, a couple of you guys put your hands up. Do you struggle to sing on Sunday morning? Anybody? Okay, pause. We'll just take it. I'm going to come back to that thought because for so long in my life, that was what worship was and when it was. And, and so I wasn't doing it very well, and so I felt like I wasn't engaged in worship. But in fact, worship is a response to, to knowing who the really good God is. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Uh, so let's, let's break those out just for a second. With, with all your heart, so with all our passion and our our um, emotion, and with all our soul. Our soul is that thing that's the deepest part of us. You know, the, 
the, the core of us. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So with your intellect. With your brain. You don't turn your brain off to follow Jesus. And with all your strength. When I read that, honestly, it sounds difficult. That word all, each time, it's repeated four or five times there. All, all, all. Well, how am I going to do that if I can't even focus on a song for five minutes? This is where that thing is. That's, this is the thing I want to open up worship a little bit to those of us who struggle with the concept that we've grown up with understanding in our understanding of worship. I was, uh, I was actually at Trent's place doing a little physical therapy thing a few weeks ago, and um, they said, okay, we're going to, I want to show you how to do this plank. And all of us know how to do planks probably, and they're just so much fun, aren't they? Um, we love those. So, uh, you know, they say, get down, you know, on your elbows and your toes. And, and then he said, okay, tighten up your, your core right here. I'm like, okay, I'm done. I got it. And he goes, okay, now your, your glutes. I tighten that up tight as you can go. All right, now your, your thighs. Tighten it up. And so I feel like I'm in some kind of yoga class. I'm getting, everything's getting locked up. And then he says, okay, now pull down your elbows without moving them as hard as you can. Now tighten up your back. Now straighten, you know, and pretty soon I'm like, oh, you know, you know that feeling of at the, I was like, this is, this is like a plank times 10. It's one second for me and I'm done. One and out. And when I read this, to be honest with you, that's what this sounds like to me. With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, if I'm going to do that, either I can say, well, I can't do that, so, eh. Or I got to figure out how this happens, right? If I'm going to worship God, if I'm going to love him and respond to who he is, I got to figure out what that means. It sounds like it's a contradiction. But, but here's the thing about it. If there's anything we've talked about for the last several months is that we have a God who is desirous of relationship with us. And he is a God who doesn't force us to be in relationship with him. He doesn't make us do it. He does not make us. He lets us come into relationship with him. He doesn't, he's not saying, do this thing that's so hard for you to do. Because we are made to worship. We are created and we all understand that. Just like those illustrations that I've given. We, when when we come to a place of worship, um, it is God recognizes who we are and how we're wired and what our problems are and what our distractions and weaknesses are. And so for each of us, I know that there are times when, when if we allow ourselves, we come to a place where... Um, there is a setting that we actually can engage with God with love where a lot of our, our self is, is there. There are those moments, and I, you know, I, I, can, I don't want to plant ideas in your head, but there are moments for me where I, I go, okay, I'm very much aware that this creation, this, this thing that I'm about to be a part of, that I am a part of, these relationships that I'm with are all about what God has done, and I have this sort of overwhelming sense of, of gratitude and, and love for Him. In, in those moments, 
those are the moments that I need to look for to find worship and love towards God. Instead of trying to say, it's only going to be on this time in this place, in this way, I'm going, to engage with, I'm going to engage with God in places where I actually do connect with him in that way. Because that's who you are. That's who he made you to be. He is in relationship with you. He, you are not, and I'm not under his thumb to do a certain thing a certain way. Because, and I'll say this, the only time we're going to get close to this full idea of loving God, of worshiping with all these parts of who we are, is when we're in the, the moment where we best see and experience who he is. So, in order to worship, the first step is to recognize who he is. And so I want to encourage you, get in a place with people, with the Bible, with music, with art, and wherever that zone is for you that directs you to him and makes you recognize how incredible he is, how powerful, how righteous, how holy. And then, it won't be a big step for you to engage your whole body, your heart, your mind, your soul in worshiping him and loving him. So, I guess I'll, I'll close by saying this. I just want to remind you, and we're going to go to communion now, Lisa's going to lead us in saying this, the Lord our God is one and therefore we can love him, we can worship him. The Lord our God is one and that means a lot. Let me pray. God, I I do just praise you for being so good in uh, wanting a relationship with us and not um, uh, you aren't depending on the forms that we create in order to be pleased in our uh, relationship with you. We, we can be in relationship, in love with you, God, because of who you are, um, and not because of even the things that we're doing, where we let us put ourselves in a place, in a place that is um, that reveals to us your goodness and your greatness, and let that, Lord, lead to us loving you with our heart, soul and our mind and our strength and worshiping you in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.